we're so happy for Brother Bourne being here today. God bless him as he comes and ministers the word of the Lord to us right now. Amen. He is no stranger to Pentecostal folks around here. Nobody, I suppose. But uh, nobody I'd rather hear the preach than Brother Bourne. Come, Brother Bourne. We're anxious to hear from the Lord, hear from you. Let's give him a hand. today. Eleven You get in a hurry. You think you're gonna catch a plane, understand the closing airport at twelve, twelve thirty. Most flights have already been canceled. Uh, drive home or walk home. Or stay here. I've enjoyed the ministering this morning. Brother Travis, Brother McLean, they always inspire me. And uh, all of us, every one of us, have people we don't like to follow. Not in the sense that we don't like to follow people. When you're preaching like this, your district superintendent, finest men in our district, Wayne McLean. But I will do my best. The word, the warfare, and the worship. Worship uh, sometimes comes to us when we give a honest and true praise the living God for His Word, and uh, when we love the Word of God as it comes across, and then we love God when nothing's coming across, and we love God when we're down, we love God when there's nowhere to go, and we love God just because we love Him. to that point in our life, then we can worship God. Some consider worship as the amount of decimals they create over a given period of time. Some think worship is uh, how far are the strength that they have to run and to exhibit the physical effort that they put forth. But worship to God is blessing His name when it's well and when it's not so well. And that I will try to do. Thank you, Brother Kraft. This church is beautiful. Very, very nice. And... uh, to be able to be here in this effort, this joint effort, First Pentecostal Church and uh, JCM, it is indeed a pleasure. I sought God about today, and uh, 
these are some of the things that my mindset began to create. And I don't know what it will do for you, but if I please God, it doesn't really matter what happens. That's my purpose for being here, is to please God. I attempted to be here last night, and uh, one of my vehicles quit. I sat on the side of the freeway for five hours until uh, they could bring me another vehicle from Houston. And then I drove on in and got here well past service time last night. But uh, In 1 Samuel chapter 25, I want to read 1 Samuel chapter 25 and verse number 33-32. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent thee this day to meet me. And blessed be thy advice, and blessed be thou, which has kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from avenging myself with mine own hand. And in very deed as the Lord God liveth, which has kept me back from hurting thee, except thou hast hastened to come to me. I want to stop right there. I want to talk for the next little bit on hastening to help your brother. And I feel very strong about these scriptures today. Hastening to help your brother. You can be seated. The times that uh, all is well, we don't need help. I remember years ago, I was fighting a hard battle. And uh, I had placed trust in certain people who had let me down. And I reached a point in my life that I could not feel in my own self that I could trust anybody. Matter of fact, I went to Brother Travis, and I said, Brother Travis, I need help. There's not a soul on earth that I trust. Brother Travis looked at me and he said, Jerome Bourne, you're going to have to trust people even when they let you down. Because when you reach a point where there is no trust, you're reaching a point of going too far. Sometimes there are things that we have to accept. I've lived with that through the years, Brother Travis, and it has been a help to me. David was a man that you didn't hem up. And when you hemmed him up, you found yourself in a lot of problems because they didn't say Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his ten thousands. 
just to be making up some kind of uh, oratory to make him feel good. One time he was asleep in a cave and someone said, we will set a garrison around the cave and we'll go in when he comes out. Uh, we'll slay him right there. And one of the men that was there among the 12,000 who was going to watch the cave for one man to come out said, y'all don't know David. You, you all misunderstood the concept. When that man comes out of that cave, there's not enough men here because you're not going to hem him up. Oh, Lord. David uh, had been in some battles, and the battles had got a little tough, and some of the men were wounded. And uh, as the case was, there, there was two times that this happened, and it would be easy to get these mixed up. But on two occasions, David prepared for battle when there were men who was not able to go into battle. And uh, he come to this point in the 25th chapter, and he come to this point in the 30th chapter of 1 Samuel. On this first occasion, uh, he had been working toward uh, a particular cause, and uh, he went to a point where his men were doing without food because they had him... Uh, on the back side of a place. And so he said, uh, there's a man over there. He's a son of Caleb. And we'll go down and we'll talk with him. So he sent ten of his best men down to talk to this man. And uh, when they got down there, he said, now this is what you tell him. He said, tell him I've been in your land and we didn't take one sheep from your fold. We didn't draw a sword against one man. We let y'all live in peace. We didn't take or harm one thing or anybody, or did we take one thing except when we talked with you? And he said, now tell him this, and tell him that David, the son of Jesse, has need because this man is a very uh, rich man, and he can help us. And so... Uh, these men went down and, and they talked to this particular man that we're talking about tonight. Uh, his name, uh, Nabal. He said, go down and tell him that I, I need some food and we have need of provisions. So they went down and says, now, David, the son of Jesse, uh, has been over in this part of the country for a while and uh, some of your men... Uh, have been shepherding by us, and we have not bothered them. Our conversations have been on a peaceful situation. So uh, we know that it's time that you are sharing your sheep, and there are uh, feastings and things that's going on. There's been a lot of extra fixed, and we'd like to have you to send some over to help us in this situation. And Nabal looked at him and says, well, who is David? And who are the sons of Jesse that we should help them? He said, you go tell him to get out of our land. Matter of fact, 
uh, if we were to turn to that scripture again, you would find in that beginning of that 25th chapter, the Bible says he was a curlish man and evil in his doings, and he was of the house of Caleb. And uh, when he went down to greet him, uh, he, he spoke to him uh, so bad that when David's men were gone, one of the servants come in to Abigail and said, Abigail, said some of the servants of David was down here and said, your husband railed on them. He spoke so unkind. Uh, he, he railed on them. And this is the 14th verse. He says, But the men were very good unto us, and we were not hurt, neither missed anything, as long as we were uh, conversant with them when we were in the fields. They were a wall unto us both by night and by day. They were the ones that was protecting us. It says, And now he just comes down and asks for a little meal. And are we going to treat him like this? And this woman, uh, Abigail, the Bible talks about her and says she was a beautiful woman. Her countenance was beautiful. And she was also a very intelligent person in understanding. And she turned to her servant. She says, I want you to prepare certain foods because uh, while my husband... Uh, lives by his very name. His, his very name says what he is. Nabal uh, means a fool. The Greek definition of Nabal means stupid, wicked, especially impious, foolish, and vile. The Hebrew definition of that says he is, the, of the word curlish means he has a spirit of a dog. He has a canine spirit. And he, he got drunk. And in his drunken stupidity, his wife got some things and says she didn't tell him. says, you take this down to David, go ahead of me and tell him that Abigail is on the way. The Bible says Abigail got down to where David was and uh, she fell at his feet and said, I, I want you to know that my husband's name represents what he is. But don't let that sin of my stupid husband rest on me because all of us don't feel like that foolish man. And says... And I, I'm asking you to accept this food. And uh, th there were so many things brought that day. And uh, let me just show you. Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two bottles of wine. This was uh, goat skins, five sheep dressed and ready, five measures of parched corn, and a hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred cakes of figs, and loaded them down on animals and went to meet him and says, This is for your men. 
This is what you needed and I'm sending it, but I'm asking that you have mercy. And the Bible says that she made haste to help him. This woman, in the sense that I'm looking at it right now, would be typical of the church. Our church, the church of the living God, is here to help us. But sometimes we have got to change our name in order to overcome our deficiencies and listen to what the church has to say. God is going to help us today. But except she had hastened. And David turned to her and he says, Blessed be thy name, O Lord, that this woman has come down and intercepted me and has caused me, even though I'm overlooking the riches and the seasonable present that Abigail has sent, though they were very needful in our time of hunger, and though we were very weary from our traveling, but her advice which disabled my rage and has caused me to seek not my own revenge, but to put it into the hands of God. Because Abigail says, if you will let God, God will take care of this curlish man. And because there are those who will help. Some, some of you don't know what it means to need help. You were born with a silver spoon in your mouth. Everything has always gone your way. You've never had need of anything all of your life. All the things that you would ever desire for, it was just, just there. And uh, I am misunderstood sometimes in, in my presentation, but sometimes there are needs in our life, and we need the help of our brethren. And I want to talk about those things for a little bit because I feel that, that as the Spirit began to communicate with me through my mind, I could see needs that needed to be communicated among brethren. There are times when brothers need help to disarm them from their anger. Because things happen that causes them to feel that they have been done wrong. And they need someone to take them by the arm and say, hey, let's back off a little bit. Let's, 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 let's reach a cooling off period. Let's not allow ourselves to get caught up in this moment. Because if we get caught up in this moment, we'll take revenge into our own hands and we'll wind up with blood on our hands. It's not necessary. And so the church of the living God, made up of brethren of like precious faith, can come to the need of our brethren and say, hey, hold it just a minute. Maybe you don't understand what I'm saying. But when I, I'm speaking from both sides of the ledger today, there's been a few times I needed someone to disarm me. And there's been a few times when 
you needed to be disarmed because you was a missile fixing to explode and do irreparable damage that could never be fixed once this thing was ignited. You was a car out of control on a busy highway and there was no one at the wheel because your mind was preoccupied by the revenge that you were trying to reach in your own self. I've been there. You've been there, if you will admit it. And there are young men here today that maybe some of us in a, in a roundabout way can stop them and make them think but sometimes we don't have time to consider all of the things we've got to rush in because they're going to be dead in short order if someone don't rush in and bring help to them because uh, the disorder that they're fixing to create and the havoc that they're fixing to have to live in, the only one that can help them is someone who must rush in at the moment and bring help and say, hey, just a minute, let, 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 me, let me talk to you a little bit. Bow down before them. We are not some that's higher and mightier than someone else. Yeah, I, I've been out there a long time. I, I've been around a long time. I was born next door to the church, and I was at church the next night, and, and I hadn't missed many nights since then. Very few nights have I missed, except for the last seven weeks, I have preached about 340 nights a year for the last 19 years. I've been busy. I've been pushing myself. But there comes a time that someone has to come along and say, hey, just stop for a minute and consider yourself. There are building projects that people get in. And sometimes they need help. And there are churches in this district, Brother Travis, who could bring 15 or 20 men to a home mission area and help them because the pressure and the deadlines of pushing causes a man to get himself deadlocked into a situation where he finds himself lacking in his points of prayer and communication with God because he's got a deadline this week and he's got a deadline next week and he's got a push for next month and all of these things. There are some of us who could be a help to them. I'm going to push it a little bit farther. I've pastored, I've evangelized, and I've been treated very nice. And for all of that, I am grateful to God. But I, I preached a conference several years ago, and I was the elder at that conference. It was all younger people. It was an evangelistic conference. And I, I, I ruffled feathers that day that, even to today, has not been settled back down. Uh, everywhere I've been, my wife and I, when we were evangelizing years ago, and even in recent years, uh, someone asked, don't you all get tired of that? And we said, well, uh, 
we wonder if people feel sorry for us because they always treat us so nice. And we've been treated so well. And uh, maybe they do feel sorry for us. Maybe they look at me and say, well, he really needs help. But uh, be that as it may, there are some out there who have not been treated so well. And they need help. And there are churches I know that are struggling with a lot of, lot of loads. But there are churches who could be a help to evangelists on the field. I've slept on couches that had springs that I had to go buy a pair of climb pliers to cut the spring that was sticking up through the mattress. Uh, because even the two quilts on the top of that old couch was not enough. My wife and I was on different levels. One side of the couch was about eight inches higher than the other. The springs come through the quilts before the night was over and we had to cut them out. And it was the uh, off scourgings of what someone had gotten tired of and worn out. And rather than carrying it to the dump, they donated it to the church. And you go into the evangelist quarters and it's... Uh, I, I made this statement at this conference. I said, I can go into an evangelist quarters and look in the cabinets and tell you within 15 cents of what they're going to pay me. Because the cups that don't have handles on them and the plates that don't match and the pots that had to come out of a dump Someone got through with them, had used them up. You could boil one of those uh, skillets and get hair out of it. I'm talking about we need to hasten. We're living in a day of specialized ministries. But we have some preachers coming on. That unless we help them, they're going to find a secular job. And they're not going to do anybody any good. And I need them. I don't just need a seasoned minister all the time. I need a young minister with young ideas who will come in and fall on his face and stay there for hours and, and get up. And even though he don't know how to put all things right together, when he gets in that pulpit, I'll see people that will hit the altar that I couldn't shake loose with all of my good words. You see, we've got to have the help of each other. And we've got to hasten to get that help. And being out there and, 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 and facing these things, I, I understand a little about that particular side of it. But sometimes uh, these men, they get out there, and even in pastoral work, they, they, they get out there and things are not going well, and they need someone to come along and say, Hey, I need help, Brother Clark. We need people who can pray until even in their insufficiency, they will say, I know I'm not qualified, but the Holy Ghost disturbed me all night long. And I call after hours and hours of prayer. I don't understand, but I know I've got to call and I don't even know what I'm going to say. And when they get through, they don't know what they've said. 
but you understand what they were talking about because you knew that they had been in touch with God. Were they someone that preached the last conference? Not necessarily. They may have been out on the hillside sending someone out to see if he could scout out the land. He could find a few loaves of bread, a few prepared sheep, maybe a little cheese. But uh, when, they, when they get the word back that, no, no we, we, we don't need any help today. Uh, no, we, we can't help you right now because, you see, uh, we've got so much to do. And, and uh, his wife says, please, please understand. Uh, this man, you see, l- let me read another phrase of Scripture. And, and the tw- 17th verse of the same chapter says, He is such a man of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. I'm glad when God has sent me a man and set me down and said, I've got to talk to you, J.J. Bourne, because the Lord has awakened me in the night. You know, that there are such men out there. But God forbid that I become such a man that I will be one of the men's of Belial that a man cannot speak to me. If you make a mistake, and Brother Travis or Brother Kraft or Brother Bourne or Brother McLean or Brother Clark sets you down and say, look, what I'm going to say to you, I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to help you. Get your spirit in control. You've got potential. David, I know you're going to sit on the throne one day. You're not there. But remember me when you get there. Listen, listen to me, David. Uh, sometimes we won't take advice if it don't come from a certain level. It, it's got to come from a. It, it, it's got to have a certain plane to it. No, no, no. I, I, I just won't have that. Here's a little old lady. Comes creeping up, falls down on her knees and crawls up, and says, "David, I'm the least. I live out here in a tent. I don't have much, but I know my husband could have given a little bit. There are people with means." who could be a help to evangelists and churches and pastors who don't. I remember one time a man come to me and he said, Brother Bourne, he said, uh, uh, I have to sit back in the congregation. He says, if you'd let me sit on the platform, I single-handedly could take care of you. I said, well, you single-handedly hadn't been doing it. Now, if i got to set you on the platform so you single-handedly would take care of me, I don't want you on the platform. Now, if you wanted to be on the platform, you should have been doing that for the last ten years while you could have done it.
I, I, I know you could because you have your Jeep Renegade and your Mark 7 and you have your town car and you have your big boats and you have your big houses and you got your house on the lake and, and uh, you just was in Hawaii and you're on your way to Italy and you, uh, you've already got your trip planned to the uh, European country and you're going to be there for months and months. And, and I, I know all of that's good and uh, you don't make any money, but uh, you, you, you got all of this. You could be a help. There are people here today who could be a help to their church. Well, I'm not getting a long ways, and I'm getting there real slow, too. But I'm telling you, God spoke to me, and He said, we need help. And I recognize today that I need help more than the rest of you. I remember having urgent needs, and um, since being in Houston, everything hadn't always been the best. And, you know, people think you pastor in a big church, everything's going good. And, but uh, I remember years before I got there, an old man set me down. And he said, "Brother Bourne, you're going to pastor a large church, but let me warn you before you get there, trouble's going to arise soon after you get there." And he says, "You're going to lose 500 people." I said, you're crazy. I ain't listening to you. Then he said, it'll get real bad. But remember this, God sent you and you'll come through it. Man, I, I, I wish he was alive. I'd like to talk to the old, old man, tell him just how right he was and how much I wouldn't accept it. But when things got so bad and the finance began to run and it began to slip through our fingers and, and we're praying more people through. But uh, when you lose a man who pays 25000 a year and you replace him with a man who pays 400 And I remember we come to church one night and boy, this this preacher comes skipping in that night. He, he was sent by God, I do believe, because I believe all of them are sent by God. Uh, things was tough at the house. Now here I am in Houston. I'm I'm pastoring a big church. My lights is turned out at the house because Houston Power and Light said they, they couldn't leave them on no longer without me paying the bill. We had candles at the house. We had a grocery pantry that didn't have one can in it. And the refrigerator stood empty. I told my wife, just unplug it. And we went to church. And this preacher got up and preached. He said to my wife, he said, I see money sticking out of your pockets. And I thought, buddy... And he talked about how God was going to help me, and he didn't know anything. Here I was, and I, I went back to my office, and I, I closed the door, and I started weeping, and I, I said, I need help. 
Come on, y'all look at me like you think I've lost my mind. Or maybe I have. But I needed help. And I couldn't find it. I went to the bank where our church had done business for 57 years. Same bank account, same number for 57 years. I walked in there and they wouldn't even cash my check. They said, we've got to check the ID. I said, same signatures at the bottom is the same one that's on the top and the same one that's on the back. It's me. They said, we've got to check the signature card. We don't know if it's you. And the next week I'd go in to cash my check. Same lady, same bank. I'm sorry, we got to check the signature card. Uh, we don't know if we want to cash this check or not. Uh, we don't know if this is you. I said, lady, look at me. Ten weeks later, I'd go in to cash my check. And the lady said, I'm sorry, could, could you wait just a minute? we got to go check the signature card. I said, just a minute! for a month and a half now. Now it's been two months. And you still look at me and say, I don't know if it's you. I said, I'm still him. The next week I come in. I walked up to the window. The lady looked at me. And her eyes got big. She knew me. I looked around, had my pants zipped, my shirt was on. I I looked and there was a a thing hanging there. It says, and I looked at it and I read it. it says, if Reverend Bourne comes in, cash his check and don't ask no questions. Y'all hadn't been there. I mean, there was there was some money in the bank at that time, and then we were going to speed up a little bit, and I, I went to borrow money, and I, I talked to the people we'd done business with, and I got ready to do this, and they said, "Oh, sure, man." And they come out and looked at the building. Oh, man, y'all don't know anything on this? No. Well, sure, we can do this. We wasn't wanting a lot of money, just a little bit of money. I just want to get some things rolling. And all of a sudden, uh, things stopped. And I, I went to the bank and I said, look, I said, what's happening? They said, well, we've changed our mind. We can't, we can't let you have this money. I said, what do you mean? You've done, give me a commitment. I'm sorry, we, we're just not going to do it. I said, but you told me what you was giving me. We started our work, and now we have spent this money, and you're not going to make us a loan. I said, no. I went to another bank. Boy, you'd have to have business with us so long. I went somewhere else. No one would loan me the money. I finally went to the vendors, and I said, look, you've done this work. They've canceled our loan. Are we... I need I need you to bear with me. Well, we got to have our money. I said, 
If you'll go with me, I'll see to it you get your money. But if you push me, you'll be the last one to get it. Because I'm going to pay those who work with me. Now, you hadn't been there. You don't know what I'm talking about. But all of a sudden, we were faced with $250,000 we had spent that we didn't have. And now we couldn't get it. And then Brother Urshan later told me, he says, I was at conference this past year. This was a couple of years back. And he said, I overheard one of the men from Houston laughing, talking to some others, saying how he blocked the loan for Brother Bourne. And my blood pressure, I felt it rising like the Pearl River rises. It got out of its banks quick. It got up on High Street. I felt it coming down State Street. It was approaching the White House. I said, vengeance is mine, saith J.J., and I will repay. Because I knew what I suffered. My father-in-law got sick. I was laying in our house, dying, and things was tough. And he looked at me from his place of, in his bed there in our living room. He said, just be patient, Jerome. It's going to work out. I said, but Papa, it's not right. He said, there's a lot of things in life that's not right. But you've got to be patient, son. He said, right now it's tough. And I know what you're going through right now. He said, uh, there's, there's no lights in your house. They've been turned off. and Your, your gas is turned off. And, and things are tough. He said, but son, he said, hold your vengeance. I wish that there were more people who would get up and just walk over and say, calm down a little bit. Come on. Grab me by the arm and say, come on, let's get away from here just a minute. You, you know, you fix, you fix and get some blood on your hands, and you don't need that blood on your hands. Later, David says, blessed be the Lord for Abigail who stopped me. When I had made a statement, there won't be a man standing by the wall when the sun comes up in the morning. Because I done told my 400 men, bind on your sword. Lay down all of your backpacks. Don't even take a shield. You're not going to need it. We're just going to have a slicing contest. He said, lay everything down. You 200 men that's not able to go into battle, you stay here and guard the stuff. He said, we're fixing to go over there and we're going to make mincemeat out of them. Because all we wanted was some lamb chops, a little bread, and they wouldn't give it to us. And we were their walls 
Morning and night, we were there protected. When the enemy come up, we fought them off and we protected them. And then they act like they don't know us. God knows where you are. I say, God knows where you are. And He wants to take care of you. But the only way He's going to take care of you, it's going to be have to, it's going to have to be some of us who will rise up in the middle of the night after an all night prayer meeting and the Lord has spoken to us to call. Oh God, there are things that I want to say that I, I can't say. But, uh, there were, th- there were things that happened that I found myself with my back not against the wall, but I was encompassed inside the wall. And uh, I remember on this occasion, and I'm probably making a mistake by saying this. Oh, Lord. But uh, I'm going to say it because we need help sometimes, and we desperately need help. In the midst of all of that, I lost my son-in-law in an accident. I was wrongfully arrested and put in jail on a lie from some backslider out of the church. Helicopters were circling the church. The six o'clock news on television says, as the camera zoomed in from a helicopter up here, said, this is where the Reverend Bourne parks, who's facing up to 20 years in prison. This is his parking spot. And the helicopters circle. And polices, the police cars swarm the church. And then for a year and a half, I wouldn't even go out and eat because when I'd walk into a restaurant or go to the cleaners, I'd send someone else with my clothes. When I would, when I would go into a restaurant, they'd say, I know you. I said, no, you don't know me. Yeah, I, I, I know you. I've never asked or agreed for a television to be in my room, but but one time in my life, and this had happened, and I, I got my family, and we went to Golden Corral in Houston, Texas, 34th Street. We walked in, and the person looked at me, and he said, um, would you like a private room? I said, I probably need it. So he ushered my family back to a private room, and Fumsey come, he says, would, would you like me to bring you a television so you can see the 6 o'clock news? What he was saying is, you want to see yourself on TV? I said, yeah, bring her on. I want to see how bad I am. And then former church members were standing on the street corner adjacent to the church flagging the people down who was coming to church and saying, don't go in there, he's a loser. Don't, don't go in there, it's caving in, 
It's going down. Finances fell out till there was nothing. And here I was, my back against the wall. The banks had turned me down. The people were standing there thumbing their nose at me. I called Brother Travis and I said, Brother Travis, should I not preach? What should I do? He said, Jerome, go to the pulpit like you've never faced a problem in your life and preach under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Don't let anything get in your heart. I'm telling you, there are times when brothers have problems and you could help them. I'm not talking about finances necessarily, but that would be a help too. But there are times when you could just go down and sit by the side of them. I remember calling one one fellow and I said, I need help. And he walked over and I started trying to tell him something. He said, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. And he stomped his foot. He said, you act like someone with an ingrowing toenail. I said, get out of my office. I said, I have more than an ingrowing toenail. And if that's all you got to tell me, I need someone who will pity me. <laughs> you ever been there, Brother Price? <laughs> A few times. You see, and sometimes we need to make haste. The Lord says, why don't you call Brother so-and-so? Well, he's probably doing better than I am. He may not be. He may be on his face. I remember years ago uh, at Pine Grove where I, I used to pastor here in Mississippi, uh, one of the men who later received the Holy Ghost didn't have the Holy Ghost at that time. Uh, the pastor who was building the church in Columbia, Mississippi, home mission pastor, I can't remember his name, Brother Travis. Columbia, Mississippi. He later went to California and Brother Dice, he, he was there trying to cut out a church out of nothing. And they got down to where there was no money and no food. And he and his wife fell on their face. And for four and a half, five hours they prayed. Brother Dice prayed, God, there's not any food in the house. And says, and even if there was food, we don't even have any black pepper. And he loved black pepper on his food. And a sinner man and a sinner woman from out in the community where I was pastoring, they went by the grocery store. And they was walking down the aisle, and old Rex was his name, Rex Armstrong. Rex said to his wife, said, You know, uh, we always bringing things to Brother Bourne. said, I, I just feel like we need to bring something to Brother Dice today. Is it Dice? Head Dice. That was him. And she said, well, if you feel like it. So they got an extra buggy, and they went down through the aisles, and they loaded up. And he said, I wonder if they like black pepper. He said, well, if they like it, they must like it a lot. So he found the biggest black he could find and set it on the top. Now, Rex was not one who uh, wanted any 
recognition. So they got the groceries and they pulled up in front of uh, where Brother Dice was living, set it on the steps, rang the doorbell, got in his truck, and they drove off. But you see, when they come to the door, Brother Dice opened the door, and through swollen eyes, he saw these sacks of groceries sitting there. And right on the top, filling the whole bag, was a thing of black pepper. You see, God even knows the details. If we can, if we can be responsible for stopping the revenge of somebody else, who knows what might happen down through the years where we're concerned. I know I'm talking to a lot of younger ministers here today, but let me tell you, you've got to learn sooner or later that it's not all roses and it's not all the best things in the world. Uh, sometimes you've got to wear things that people give you. I mean, I got on uh, thrift store specials today. You probably can tell it. Uh, pockets ain't even unsold yet. I cut the tags off to come to this service. Done lost a button here at church. If you find a button, I need it. You got it right there. It's... Uh, I don't know. If, I don't know if I can read that. Verses, verses, or Versailles, or something. Um, Versace. That's it. I know he's bad, but the clothes you got on is made by some of the same types. I challenge you to look in your own coat. He's a designer that his boyfriend killed him. <laughs> All right. But you know, uh, someone said there's some brand new coats over to thrift store. Said, uh, I think they're your size, Brother Bourne. I said, Well, I'd like to have them, but uh, how much are they? They said, They're $24 a piece. I said, Well, I can't afford that. I'm used to getting them for three, three ninety-three or two eighty-one or something like that. I said I can't afford it. I said, well, I'm gonna go get them, and they brought them back, and they were all wadded up, and both of them still had the tags on them. And matter of fact, there's three of them. And uh, I, I, I yoked me things up. There we go. I need my hand in there once in a while. And so this man says, well, if you can wear them, I don't know, I don't know anything about clothes. They look like a little loud for me. I said, it looked a little loud for me too. But there's nothing wrong with wearing hand-me-ups or hand-me-downs. Sometimes you might have to do that. You say, well, I'll never do it. You, you probably won't ever eat uh, lamb chops if someone brings it to you riding on a donkey either, would you? You probably wouldn't take advice from a lady either, would you? 
David could have said, send your husband to talk to me. I'm not talking to you. You're of the lower species. You the one fell in the garden. I'm not going to listen to anything a woman's got to say. I, I know people like that. I, I do. Starts they all live in Texas, but both McLean's here. And he... <laughs> you see, there are some things that we need to be diligent and quick. I remember I've, I've preached those revivals where the money wasn't there. And I'm not talking about 100 years ago because I'm not but 57. I've been there when it, things was difficult on the evangelistic field. I remember getting 30 dozen eggs and $28. <laughs> Hens were laying good. The people just wasn't giving <laughs> We had eggs fried, eggs boiled, eggs benedict, poached, scrambled, scrambled with meat, scrambled with potatoes. I told the man, I said, I, I, I just don't think I can come back next week. I was driving back and forth. He said, oh, if it's a money word about I said, no, it's not the money. wasn't enough to worry about. <laughs> I had the eggs, man. <laughs> so I... Someone said, Brother Vaughn, you really believe God helps? Well, I know He does. And so I got to a place. I said, I need help. I said, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Everywhere I go, I'm just going to put an empty ice chest in my truck. I'm going to exercise that faith. I need something at the house. I'm not going to tell anybody i got an ice chest in my truck. I started to a funeral, driving to Mississippi to preach a funeral. And I loaded my things up and... And I got my big old ice chest and I slid it up in the back of the truck and my daughter says, Surely you're not taking that ice chest to a funeral. I said, The Lord didn't say take your ice chest where if you wasn't going to a funeral. I got to that funeral and I started leaving. This man says, Preacher? I said, Yes, sir. He said, You know, I I've got several hundred pounds of shrimp. Said if you had an ice chest I know you got to go, so I said, well, I got one. <laughs> I flipped the lid on that truck. I said, there she is. Is that big enough? Walmart's right down the street. I go get another one. I left Mississippi campground. Right here several years ago, 1986. Um, right out here. Which way is it? 
out across this way. I had, um, I believe I had $8 or $9. And I give my wife half of it. She was staying. And I, I hooked onto that trailer and I headed to Arkansas for a revival. And so she wound up with three and a half or four and a half. And I had three, four and a half. And uh, I had my tank full and I knew I had enough just to get there. And that was all. And uh, I was barreling up the road, and, and the Lord said, Stop at that phone. I said, Lord, I, I, I don't need to call anybody. The Lord said, Did I tell you to call anybody? I said, Stop at that phone. So I, I got that rig stopped. It took me about nearly a quarter of a mile, I pulled over and I walked back to that phone booth. I said, now, God, now I'm here. Now, what you want me to do? The Lord said, open up that little lid. And I opened it up and it was full of quarters. It was either me or the next person. <laughs> I mean, when you need help, It don't matter where it comes from. <laughs> I say when you need help, it don't matter where it comes from. It, it was several years ago. I, uh, after all of this happened and right in the middle of, here we are, all doors are closed. There's, there's not a, they was even going to close the interstate going to my house. <laughs> Or that's the way it sounded like. And uh, I, I was sitting there in my office one day, and I said, I, I don't know what we're going to do. And I, I got a telephone call. And this, this man, he was a CEO of a bank there in Houston. He said, I understand you all need help. I said, I don't know who told you that. He said, could I come out and talk with you? So he come out, and I said, well, what, 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 are you, what you're out here for? He said, I, I want to help you. I said, well, where did you get my name? He said, well, I just heard about you, and I, I'm here to help you. He said, what do you need? I said, sir, if I tell you what I needed, it scare you off. He said, no, no, it won't scare me off. So he talked to me, and he said, you need half a million? You need a million? You need two million? You need three million? I can let you have it. I said, no. That's, that's not the point. He said, well, you need help. I said, yes, sir, I need help. And while I was talking to him, someone come and says, uh, Brother Bourne, there's, uh, they call me in my office. There's a very important call for you. I said, well, I'm, I'm in a pretty important conversation right now. There's someone here trying to help me. He said, but I think you need to take this call. So I took the call. And this was a CEO of another bank there in Houston. He said, I understand that I can be of service to you. I said, now we're talking. So here's this man. He's in my office, the president of the bank and the CEO. And they've offered me all their services. And and uh, when they get through, I said, well, what do you think? I said, well. I don't know, Mr. So-and-so from this other bank 
That was the one that called a minute ago, and I got to talk to him first. So they come out, CEO and president, and they sit down in my office. Within two hours, two CEOs, two presidents sit in my office, and they both offered me the limit, whatever whatever I thought the limit was. And uh, now I've got a dilemma. I don't know which one to use. Because I think it's just as important to deal with the right bank. And so I called a friend. I said, I need help. He said, what's the help, preacher? He was from way away somewhere. And he, I said, I got two men or four men that's been to my office today. And I said, they're offering to help me, and I need help. And this man said, uh, oh, hallelujah. He said, two bank men just left your office, and he described them. Told what color their hair was, what kind of glasses they had on. He said, the last two men that just left your office, one of them's a little short fella, Five foot four, beady-eyed, hatchet face. He said, he will help you. I said, well, they both offered to help me. He said, this is a man that will help you. The Lord told me to tell you, the little bitty fella, he will help you. So, I, I, I know it's one o'clock. I've been up here an hour and ten minutes, and I'm fixing to close. But you see, sometimes we need help and we don't know where it's coming from. And we don't know how it's going to come or why it's going to come. But we were at the lawn closing and we didn't borrow a lot of money, but we borrowed enough to finish our building. And, and at the lawn closing, this little beady-eyed, hatchet-faced fellow looked at me and he said, i got one question I want to ask you, preacher. I said, okay. He said, that other bank had more to offer than we did. Why did you choose me? I said, well, I don't think you're ready for this. He said, I, I think so. I said, well, okay, I'll tell you. I said, you know anything about the Holy Ghost? He said, well, I've, I've, I've heard of the Holy Spirit. I said, it's one and the same. I said, but in prayer, the Holy Ghost said, choose you over the others. And I said, that's why we've done this. All of a sudden, I seen him recently get his arms like this, and I said, you can't rub them down. I said, what you feeling is what I felt that day when the Lord told me to go with you. Hallelujah. You see, the Lord said, He will help you. Just a few months ago, this man called my office and he said, I, I need to talk to y'all. So, Brother Nichols, my CPA, uh, I seen him. I said, you go talk to him, see what he wants. And he called me. He said, Brother Bourne, are you sitting down? I said, yes, sir. He said, this man, there's a man in his office that wants to make a substantial donation to a 
church. He said he's not a church person, but he wants to make a substantial donation. And says, and he asked me, he says, you tell me who you think I should make this donation to. And said, so I told him, if he's going to make a donation, you need to make it to Irvington Pentecostal Church. He said, well, where do you go to church? He said, my church don't need it. But if you're going to make a donation, make it to Irvington. So this man called our church, and my son-in-law went up there and talked with him and put him in contact with this man. And this man said, uh, well, I, I have a sizable or a substantial amount I want to give. And I told my son-in-law, I said, don't you ask what it is. Don't even hint that you want to know because it, I just feel that's the way we need to handle it. And a few weeks passed, and this man called back and says, I'm about got this thing closed, ready to close it out, and says, uh, I have a substantial amount I want to convey to your church. And Brother Nichols said, well, okay, that's, that's fine. He said, do you, are, are you interested in what substantial means? He said, it really don't matter. If it's, you say it's substantial, we know it's substantial. He said, but you don't have a clue what substantial is. He says, no, sir. But if God says he's going to give our church substantial amount, we know it's going to be substantial. The man says, sir, would you let me tell you what I want to give you? He said, it's up to you. My pastor said, don't ask. He said, I want to give you all $20 million. He said, that's substantial. <laughs> that's substantial. Oh, make haste, Almighty God. Some of you, what would have happened if Brother Clark hadn't received that call? What would have happened if Brother Kraft hadn't received a call at his low point? And someone just calls and said, Brother Kraft, thus saith the Lord. And what would happen to you if someone hadn't stopped you right in the middle of the worst wrath of your mind and they stopped you long enough to keep you from shedding blood that would always be on your hands? I know I've gone a long time here today, but we need to make haste to help our brothers. I say we need to make haste to help our brothers. You need to help your brother. I say you need to help your brother. We need to help the evangelist. I have taken bus loads and unloaded on a blank slab. And with our know-how, put up a building in one day and take the pressure off some home mission pastor who was struggling with every odd. A 
paid car notes for home missionaries who were struggling. And at times when I wondered where mine was going to come from, I've paid rent on buildings and paying rent on buildings right now in other states so some home mission preacher can have it just a little bit easier. Matter of fact, our church is paying the rent on the building and paying a man's salary for one year, trying to make it a little bit easier because we felt like he needed help. This is not what you're expecting out of me today, I know. But I've done what the, the Holy Ghost prompted my mind. And I concur with Brother McLean. I didn't hear a voice echo and shake all the dishes in the room. But all of a sudden, our minds become one. And we begin to think like God. Because God had taken control. You think God needs you, Brother Bourne? Sure He does. He needs you too. He needs you to help somebody. And it, I'm not talking about money. Money answers a lot of things. But money's not everything. Some of the most strengthening days I've ever had in my life is when some person from nowhere who had no name who had no station in life, just come along and says, the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night concerning you. And that particular day, it was only that that stopped me from making a foolish move. David said, I had come nigh to take vengeance and blessed be the Lord for this lady who stopped me. You know what the lady said? She said, Sir, that stupid husband of mine, if you'll let God handle him, it'll all be over. So the Bible says David pulled his men back and the next morning she talked to her husband when he was sober and says, David could have killed you this morning but I stopped him. And the Bible says, and his heart died within him. It stopped. And he lay on that bed, afraid to move for ten days. And then it says, and then the Lord killed him. If you'll let God handle it, He will handle it. And when it's all over, you can look at your hands and say, I almost blooded my hands handling my own vengeance when God wants to handle it for you. Let's sing this softly together, everybody.